0: The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. The line from that song which speaks of being constrained by the gospel makes me think of St. Paul's comment uh, about how the love of Christ constrains us. That that love channels our lives, that it, it shapes our lives, that... That what following Jesus does is give us an, a new set of lenses through which to, to look at the world. And in that way, when we have those lenses on and as we look through them, our our lives are reoriented to a truth that we wouldn't otherwise see. And in some ways, the text that I want to preach out of today is an example of that kind of discipleship growth of Of being encouraged by Jesus to put on that set of kingdom lenses and to see life uh, in a different way and and, uh, through those different lenses. The context of of Mark 4 35 to 41 is that Jesus in chapter 3 has invited his disciples to follow him. And then here at the end of Mark 4, we have the beginning of what uh, turn out to be six journeys across the water, where they're just going over to the other side. (laughs) There's a lot of movement in Mark's gospel, and this is an example of that. There's not a real clear reason why Jesus keeps telling them to get into the boat, to go over to the other side, but they do. And by the end of of chapter 8... uh, in, actually at the beginning of chapter 8 we have gone through six of these journeys and, and what seems obvious is that the point of these journeys is not where they're going but the one with whom uh, they are uh, the one with whom they're going on these journeys and so, uh, so Jesus invites them to get into the boat and we, we pick that up in verse 35 in Mark 4 now on that day When evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waters beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind... And the sea obey him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to receive and act on your invitation to follow. So work in us by your Spirit to see even just a hint of the glory of that you are revealing to us, that our lives might be oriented around the truth that gives us meaning and that gives us hope. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Marianne and I have been married for about 23 years, but during our first year of marriage something happened to me that I was reminded of as I was preparing for this sermon and uh, I was uh, awake one morning early, she was still asleep, and I was putting lotion on my hands in the, in the bathroom, and, and I was still not quite used to my wedding ring, and so I was trying to get the wing, ring off, and, and, um, and it, it still came off then, it, it doesn't now. Uh, um. And, uh, and yet it was still a little hard, so I was pulling on it and pulling on it, and as I pulled on it, it came off my finger and flipped up into the air. And, you know, and if it was, this was a cinematic experience, you'd see it just sort of slow motion rolling, and I, I went to catch it and I tipped it a little bit. And in this particular apartment that we lived in in our first year of marriage, what was right next to the bathroom sink was the toilet. And so I flipped it up and, and kind of tipped it you know it'd be a great basketball tip actually and and uh and then it it did it was out of my reach and it did what things do because of gravity it fell and it fell right into the toilet no big deal the, the water was clean by the way and uh i uh, uh i just reached in to get it and yet in reaching in to get it i pushed it back <laughs> into that little hole that the water squirts out of so I thought, okay, no problem. I'll just, you know, reach my other hand down there and flush it, and it'll shoot it out. <laughs> well, it flushed, with no ring, you know? I mean, I just thought, what in the world? And so I did it again, no ring. Um, so at this point, I was beginning to get frantic, because in my own mind, here was the symbol of our marriage, down the toilet. <laughs> so I... I walked into the bedroom. I said, Marianne, wake up, wake up, wake up. My wedding ring, it fell into the toilet. This is really awful. And she kind of groggily, you know, just sort of... uh, I said, no, this is important. Wake up. And so she woke up, and I explained to her what had happened, and she just kind of smiled at me and said, you know, no big deal. (laughs) You know, we'll we'll just get another ring if we had to. But I needed her to be more anxious at that moment. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be spending the next month down at the, the water uh, reclamation, the sewage treatment plant, waiting for it to pop out onto the rocks or something, you know. And she just didn't see there was much of a problem. For me, in that moment, it was an existential crisis. For her, it was a, a kind of amusing problem that we could probably solve. Now, in the first service, I didn't tell people what happened to the ring, and that's all I heard afterwards. So so you can know what happened is, is I ultimately had to take the toilet up off the ground, and I shook it, and it came out. So anyway... So now, you know, but it absolutely ruins my transition to the next thing to tell you. (laughs) about. what what that was an example of is something that I think we all know at, at certain times in our lives when we experience a sort of urgency and anxiety and we share that with another for whom that is not also the case. And what we feel in that moment, when the other is not getting as anxious as we are, but is experiencing a different reality than our anxiety, what we feel in that moment is abandonment. What we feel in that moment is this other does not see the world the way we see it. Does not see the world in the way we see it, and therefore, can we trust this person? Because they look at things differently, they don't understand, they don't care, maybe. And I think that's where the disciples are in this text. The situation in the text is that they, they have answered Jesus' call to follow. They are with him. They, they are doing what he says to do. And so they get into the boat and go over to the other side. But while they're going over to the other side, what happens? A storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee. And the waves start to swamp the boat. Now, these are experienced fishermen, and yet still they're a little anxious. So this must have been pretty bad. And what made it even worse was that this one who took them on this wild goose chase across the water that they don't even know why they're on, is asleep in the stern. Absolutely unfazed by what is going on around him. So they rouse him. Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Wake up. And Jesus wakes up. He calmly stills the storm. asks them, what's wrong? Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? And then in the midst of the calm, they ask to themselves and among one another, "Who Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, there's two questions that the disciples ask here, and the first one comes in panic, and it's a form of a complaint. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And the second one is a kind of a rhetorical question that comes in the face of that dead calm, a kind of dumbfounded silence. And out of that silence emerges this, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Don't you care, Lord? And who is this? In some ways, they're really the same question. And the question is, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Who are you, first of all, that you can sleep through this? And who are you, secondly, that you can stop it? Who are you? And that's followed quickly by another question that comes to our minds almost immediately. It's a tacit question here, but it's just as present as that first question, who are you, Lord? And that is the question, who am I? Who am I that I'm with you? Why did you invite me to follow you? What's the point of the storm? Do I matter to you? And if I do matter, then why are you sleeping? If I matter, why the delay? Why put us through this? This delay between don't you care if we're perishing and who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? What's the point of that? You know, whether we're in the storm of life or the calms of life, a lot of prayer, it seems to me, wraps itself around these two questions. That really what most of prayer is about is a struggle in relationship with God and asking those two questions, Lord, who are you and who am I? Who are you, Lord? Are you, are you able to address this concern that I have, this problem that I'm facing, this complaint that I need listened to, this issue that I need resolved? Who are you? And who am I? Do I matter enough for you to address it? And then the obvious conclusion that we often make in the wake of praying these two prayers is that if God does something to actually address the concern that we've asked him about, we conclude that he cares and that the prayer is answered. But if he doesn't, We can conclude any number of things and there it leads us to a lot more difficult place. We can conclude that either he doesn't care or perhaps we can conclude that he doesn't have the capacity to do anything about it. And we're left with the dilemma of what we're going to do in relationship with him. Not too long ago I received a... um, the alumni magazine from uh, my seminary, Fuller Seminary, and they had an article in it, uh, the cover story, about this man by the name of uh, Galen uh, Buckwalter. He had an accident in his uh, teenage years that he writes about. The article's called A Good Life Even on Bad Days, and he's he's paralyzed. Um, But he starts the story this way. He says, I was injured between my junior and senior years of high school. I was a farm boy who got up every morning and milked the cows before before going to school. I was also a runner, and a good one, back in the day. So most mornings I got a run-in before school, and again after milking the cows after school. I was a working machine. I had life by the tail, as most 16-year-old males do, when I took a smooth swan dive on a hot, sunny day directly onto a submerged rock. In an instant, everything changed. Suddenly, I was a bobbing head in murky currents, looking directly at my own death and in those seconds that stretched into what seemed a lifetime, quickly embracing its inevitability. It was the most serene sensation of my life, which turned into an emergency rescue effort during which I just as quickly realized I wanted to live. Within six hours, I was in a critical care unit where I was told I would never walk again. And then he goes on to say a little later, I went deeply in this year between high school and college uh, and a year of recovery. He says, I went deeply into my own world during the year between high school and when I began college. I spent a lot of time just staring out the windows of our farmhouse. I worked out daily, got a car, learned how to get myself and my chair in and out of it, and read voraciously, but I was deeply depressed. I spent days and nights praying. I made a deal with God that I was going to be healed or dead by a certain day. That sunny morning dawned on a body still numb as a log. I just lay there laughing for a while. It was a gorgeous day. I had a family that loved and cared for me and a God who I did not get. That's the feeling. To come to that place where we are asking the question, Lord, don't you care if we are perishing and realizing that we have a God we do not get? who, if he is around and is concerned, is acting in a way that we have to learn something new about in order to apprehend it. And in those moments, what we know is a little bit more about who God isn't, because he hasn't come through for us. And the challenge before us in that moment is to ask the question directly to God, then who are you? If you're not who I thought you were, then who are you? At this juncture, what we can do is to walk away or hold on. We can reject God and relegate Him to a place of irrelevance, or we can stay with Him and go deeper and hold on and see and live in the tension between. Don't you care? And who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? That's where we are with God, but it's really true of all of our relationships when we live in the disappointment of someone close to us. When someone who hasn't come through in the way that we think they should have come through for us, it's the same thing in our relationships with one another. Because people don't come through for us very often in the way that we want them to, and we have to decide how to respond. We have to decide how we're going to live in the tension. Are we going to reject the relationship or are we going to continue to pursue it? and find out, even though they're not who we think they are, maybe there's someone else there that we need to know. We have to decide to live in the tension between expectation and reality. Well, the disciples are very fearful in the midst of this situation. But it's interesting to look at Jesus... In the face of this swamped boat and the storm. For he seems to have a very different take on what's going on here. And his words give witness to that different perception of reality. And he asks them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Have you still no faith? What do we do with those words? How do we hear them? Do we hear them in kind of a way that suggests that Jesus is being sort of jerky? Or do we hear them in a way that he simply sees things differently than we do? Do we hear them as if he is irritated and chiding them because they, they, they don't get it and you know they've been with him for a while and they should get it and that he has no empathy? Or or maybe we hear him, you know, sort of shrugging it all off and with this kind of Bob Marley-ish sort of uh, Rastafarian uh, way of saying maybe, uh, you know, don't worry, be happy, or every little thing going to be all right, you know. (laughs) I don't think that's what's happening in either case of what's happening with Jesus. He's not saying either of those things. But I think what we have to do to understand this text is to take those words at face value and to, to empty them of the emotions that we might project into them and to just hear in them an invitation. An invitation to consider our fear and an invitation to consider the one with whom we're riding in that boat. Why are we afraid? What is, it, what is the worst thing that could happen at this time? And would it, if it happened somehow separate us from the most important thing in life. I think that's what he's asking us to look at. To look at our fear and to look at him. The invitation that's there is to see that there's something bigger than the storm that is going on in that moment. Something more important than the storm or the calm is going on in this text. And there's a constant that is true in both situations. And what that constant is, as Jesus is saying it to them tacitly, is the constant is that you're in the boat with me. You belong to me. You draw your identity from me. You're made to live in relationship with God and you do so in union with me. And nothing's going to change that. So hold on. Keep answering the invitation to follow. Let the Spirit breathe into you this reality of union. Get into the boat with me and travel over to the other side because you don't define what is at the center of life. You belong to me and I am at the center of life. There's a still point. There's a constant in the storm and the calm. And that still point is our identity. It's the fact that we belong to Jesus. So let me give you an image as we close. We've all driven over the 520 Bridge when it's windy. And what we know is that interesting dual reality of the waves being very choppy on one side and beating over the side of the bridge. And then we look to the other side and what's going on? It's calm. There's nothing. It's as if the water on the other side doesn't know that there's wind on that one side. The wind's whipping up and churning the waves on one side and there's relative calm on the other and yet we're navigating this path right straight down the middle of it experiencing both realities. I think that's a picture of the discipleship journey. It's a journey that's navigated through storms and calms and neither the storm nor the calm defines the journey. What defines the journey is the one with whom we're walking, or driving, or rowing. What defines the journey is a who, namely a relationship with Jesus Christ, with the one who's taking us over to the other side. And on that journey, we learn that the point is not really arriving where we're going so much as it is just simply being with the one who gives us meaning. And purpose, and hope in life. What Jesus' call is in this passage to us today is to see things in a new way. And to see that the evaluative criteria of our lives is not wealth or scarcity. It's not storms or calms. That the evaluative criteria of our life is To whom do we belong? And to begin to understand that the only comfort in life and in death, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, is that we belong not to ourselves, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear your still small voice. to know that you are not in the big show, the earthquake, the fire, or the wind, but you are merely and wonderfully present with us. So help us to find our rest there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www.upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.